Welcome to Entrepreneur Decoded, the show which reveals the habits, fears, failures, and joys of today's most inspiring and successful entrepreneurs seven days a week. Now, here's your host, Simon Sander. I don't want to waste any time and I want to jump in right away. Steve Gum, I'm so happy you're here. Welcome. Thanks, man. Thanks. Steve Gum has founded four different companies over the past 20 years, which have reached multi-million dollar revenue. He's also the founder of one of the first video-based marketing firms in the country. Steve is the host of Make Your Mark podcast, where he interviews some of the most fascinating people in the world of business and change. Steve, I want to jump right in, like I said before, so let's not waste time. If you could teach everyone in the world one thing, something you learned throughout the years, what would it be? Uh, just, you know, knowing yourself, I guess, is the key. You know, for me, it's taken me a long time. You know, I'm more of a seasoned entrepreneur. I think the toughest thing for entrepreneurs to really grasp is just a real understanding of who they are and where they're going. Um, I think if I could teach anyone anything, it would be to not only enjoy the journey that they're on, but embrace it, right? So the idea of fake it till you make it or putting on this aura of success before you're actually there. You know, and I, I did that when I was young, uh, for sure. I just think in this day and age of real authenticity, you know, people under underestimate the value of the the story of the grind and how well that's appreciated. So if I could teach anybody anything, quite frankly, it'd just be to, to be authentic and embrace the journey from start to finish. Yeah. I want you to look back now at your journey as an entrepreneur. There are usually two types of entrepreneurs. First, there's people who just couldn't work for someone else. They didn't like the nine to five and they just wanted freedom. And there's others who always had that entrepreneurial DNA. Which side of the fence you see yourself on? Yeah, I mean, I have from day one. And, you know, it's funny because you get this question comes up, uh, you know, quite a bit in entrepreneurial circles. And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I think I was more of, of the type of guy. I don't know if it's in my DNA as much as maybe uh, being <laughs> I, I wasn't really good with authority as a, as a kid, you know, very independent. And so uh, I can remember to this day, you know, when I became an entrepreneur, I mean, I was working uh, for a paint company painting houses in the market. And we were working on a property for a former NFL player. I wish I remember the guy's name. I, I don't. I just know he played for the Vikings. But anyway, um, I noticed on the contract, uh, there was a fence, you know, that we were going to do his fence and he declined it. And so, you know, I was kind of the foreman, quote unquote, on this project site. And I went up and I was like, you know, why aren't we doing the fence? And he said, well, it's just too expensive. And so I looked at the contract and, and, you know, it was more than I made in two weeks, right? And so I was like, well, you know, what if I could do it for half of that? And uh, he agreed. And so I went out there over the weekend and I knocked it out and that was it. Like literally the next day I, I quit that job and started my own painting company, which I ran for like five years out here in the Chicagoland area. And from that day on, um, I just never looked back, man. Tell me about the transition going from a painter to becoming your own boss. Yeah, I mean, it really is just ba based on, on need. You know, I mean, I really am not one of these guys that that plans things out very well. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of businesses and I know when, when you go over summaries of people's biography, it always sounds really impressive, right? I mean, I listen to guys, you know, I've been on several podcasts and, and they kind of go over my, my my background, my summary. I'm like, man, that guy sounds pretty awesome, right? I mean, it's like with the video service, I had started a company that was doing merchandising uh, for companies all over the country. And, and long story short, I got into consulting work. And, 
it, it dawned on me, right? The, the, the stories always fascinated me more than the businesses. So I'd go in to do consulting work for a company and uh, it was always, okay, how are we going to sell more product and yada, yada. And we get in these meetings and, and I was always really, really fascinated by the stories, right? How it was started, the type of people, the process that was involved, how they did, you know, little nuances to a product. You know, if you're looking at a restaurant, for example, you know, it always fascinates me like the preparation or where they, where they procure their food or is it all natural or, you know, the, the history of the chef and the passion for the art and the craft and all these things are missed. Uh, by an average consumer, right? And so for me, it was an opportunity to say, well, you know, we need to start shooting this and capturing this stuff. We can do it on video. And then, you know, as things evolved, uh, we got very heavily into like YouTube, YouTube and Facebook advertising and things like that. But it really wasn't a moment where I sat down and was like, okay, I need a business that can make money. Mm, let me pick one of these. Video sounds good. You know, it, it just kind of evolved uh, out of, I guess, you know, needs and opportunities that we saw within businesses that I was already running. Well, yeah, video cameras are accessible now to everybody. You can get a good DSLR for $500 and you can shoot amazing video. But Steve, what are some mistakes uh, people make? Uh, if you could point out one biggest mistake when it comes to creating video content. Um, yeah, that's a tough question because, you know, there's, there's, it depends on what you're doing. I guess if they're doing something wrong, it's really not thinking through the purpose of the video. Right. Um, and we used to joke, not joke, but it's really something that we tell a lot of our, our prospects is, you know, anybody can shoot video. You know, what, what we do is, is not miraculous. You know, shooting video is very easy. Uh, making it work as as a marketing, as a profit generating tool for the business is an entirely different animal. And so, you know, where I see people go wrong is usually they, they see these trends. Right. And you can equate this not just to, to video. This is this is anything. This is Snapchat. This is Facebook. This is Twitter. Businesses and entrepreneurs, they see these things that they, quote, unquote, have to be a part of, right? And they dive in and they do it and it doesn't really work really well and then they abandon it. And so with video, what we see a lot of is, is people will shoot video, they upload it, nothing happens to the business and it's kind of like, well, that sucks, you know? Uh, it's really a matter of like within within your business trying to figure out what is the end game and can video get you there faster. So for us, it's about storytelling, and uh, I'll just give you an example to kind of you know make it tangible for you. Um, like if you are a chiropractor out there, right? And I, I use this one because we just worked with a Chicago chiropractor. The question is like who do you who do you want to reach and how are you going to reach them, right? So rather than shooting a video like hey we're a chiropractor look at us come come visit us. It's really about, okay, we're going to target in on athletes with back pain, right? And so the video really speaks almost like you're talking to just one person, just one segment of your audience, and then taking that message in that video and that value-based piece of content and getting it in front of them, right? But again, where people go wrong is they don't think through, okay, what am I trying to accomplish here? Am I trying to talk to one particular prospect about my expertise and engage them enough to become a client. And oftentimes that's not the case. Usually people just want to shoot quote unquote video just because it's video. And so usually it's just, Hey, look at our business. Here we are. They upload it. It doesn't work. So, uh, Simon, to answer your question, man, I would say just, just thinking through, you know, the journey of why that piece of content, that piece of advertising why you're doing it and where it fits within your your overall strategy and the goals you're trying to accomplish. 
yeah, importance of consistency. And new platforms come, new platforms go. But if you're really consistent on one platform, usually you get results sooner or later. I want to ask you about shooting quality video on your smartphone. Can everybody do that? Yeah. You know, I would say it's really within context, right? So um, depending on what you're doing with it, you know, you can shoot with anything you want. I mean, I think that there's a, a place, a lot of, you know, platforms you look at, you know, Snapchat, if, if any of you are following Snapchat now, I mean, some of the big players there, uh, you know, DJ Khaled and some of that, like he's not doing really high profile, uh, high quality video, you know, I mean, he's just shooting himself. It's engaging uh, because his audience, that works for his audience, right? And it, it's really a matter of knowing what you're trying to accomplish with your audience. And I think um, the, the misconception comes when you get a lot of thought leaders out there. Um, you know, you look at a DJ Khaled or you look at, you know, what, what uh, Gary Vee is doing out there. You look at what, you know, you name the, the people that are getting a lot of attention. Um, the, the Some people look at what they're doing is challenging, right? Because they already have a brand. They're already well-established and people want to get inside and take a view of their life. It's more of that celebrity uh, ask, even though they're in the, in the business or this, you know, the entertainment community, it's much more of a, a voyeuristic play, right? People just want to know what they have to say. They like to, to get involved. And I, I think a lot of local businesses who don't yet have that personality really need to build up to that. Um, unless you are super entertaining, right? And, and a lot of people aren't, you know I mean? It's an art. I mean, even look at what you're doing right now. I mean, how many people should have a podcast? Probably everybody, but the reality is, you know, not everyone has a personality for it. And so it's just a, it would be a bad fit, right? So, you know, when it comes to video or, or picking a, um, picking a, a, a channel for where to distribute it, you know, I think if, if you are, you know, an artistic type of a business or someone that does have a good personality, you know, I think there's a time and place for high quality video when you're using it in advertising and trying to engage online. I just think there's, you're familiar with Gary Vee? Okay, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are. You'll notice he does a lot of really unique things, right? He uses the platforms very, very well if you watch what he does, right? Snapchat, uh, Instagram, uh, even Facebook Live are very off the cuff. He's walking around, it's him with his phone, right? But if you then, if you transition to uh, call it Daily V or what he's doing there, it's very high quality video, right? It's still the same kind of casual uh, but the experience for the viewer is very different, right? They pipe in music. It's very high quality video. It's him understanding the, the context in the platform that he's using. Yeah. Speaking of content, I really want to bring out Gary Vaynerchuk. When he first got started, he put out one video every day for years on YouTube on his Vine Library TV account where he reviewed Vine. And first few months, and I think even a year, the view count was so low, but he kept doing it, kept putting up videos, kept uploading, and eventually people started watching, people started sharing. So it takes consistency to get results. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, look, Simon, you're not going to achieve anything without really being fully committed to it, right? And, and the tough part about that is we live in a world where, where entrepreneurship is has been glorified, right? So every young kid, everybody wants to make a million dollars tomorrow, wants to be an entrepreneur, right? But very few are, if you sat them down and, and really told them what it was going to take, 
very, very few would take that path. Very few. Right. So a guy like now, Gary was in a very fortunate situation. Right. I mean, you, you look at what he did. You got to understand he he did. He was he was very lucky in that his father had the wine business and he, he could commit the time and energy and effort to that and still survive. You know, I mean, like he was still making a living. A lot of people, you have to understand, if, if you have a passion for something, right, are you willing to do it even if the end game, like this, this dream financial goal, which is usually in the entrepreneur's mindset, if that does not come to fruition, are you still passionate about what you're doing to do it anyway? Because if you're not, forget about it. Because it's not going to happen tomorrow. You're not going to turn into an overnight celebrity. Like, it may very well be you have an audience of 25 people that think you're cool. And so if you don't really, if you're not passionate about what you're doing and don't really enjoy the art, the craft and the work, you just won't make it. So, you know, Gary was fortunate in that. I think even if he had not become what he is today, he would still be doing wine library TV. Yeah. I think you touched on a really interesting point. Overnight success almost never happens and you have to follow your passion. Steve, I want to get personal with you. Could you look back at your journey as an entrepreneur and pick a major challenge or a failure you had and how overcame that? Well, I, I can tell you guys this, right? I mean, in, in the entrepreneurial circles, <clears throat> and I've been around it for a long, long time. Um, you know, a lot of my friends are, are multi-multi-millionaires and you know, it's a very glorious, glamorous, you know, thing to look at. And I think a lot of people, you know, not, not a lot of people know who I am, right? I mean, it's, I'm not on the celebrity level by any stretch, <clears throat> but I do think, you know, if, if you saw me out back in the day, I'll just give you an example. Right, let me let me backtrack this and we'll unbox it. I, I was in New York once. Uh, this was about, you know, 11 years ago. B broke pretty much. And but, you know, entrepreneurs, they dress. You've got you got to look the part. Right. And so I looked the part and we were at a at a, a bar out of New York City. I had a business partner at the time. And he looked at me and he's looking around and there's all these guys in the room and, you know, gals and stuff. And everybody looks like they're just out of control, you know, financially. And he's looking at me. He's going, you know, what do you think all these people do, man? How do they get all their money? And I looked at him and I just said, you know what? They're probably asking the same thing about us because we looked the part, right? It, 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 it was kind of a mind fuck. And so for me, you know, I, I've done very, I did very well early on. Uh, but I made mistakes, right? And, and one of the biggest flubs that I had was I went uh, headlong into the real estate game back in like 06. Um, heavily, heavily, heavily invested in in the real estate market. Um, really more of an ego play than anything else. You know, I, I wanted to say, oh, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm, now I'm building properties and look at me and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, when the market tanked, I ended up bankrupt. Like I lost everything. And... For me, that that was just um, a blessing and a curse, right? I wouldn't wish that upon anybody, but it, it puts th it puts things in crystal clear form in terms of like the, the ebbs and flows of life, and you know the the way money can come and go, uh, and just what's important, right? And I think business and life should not be blurred as much as, as there, there's not a real big separation there, right? I mean, you're either passionate about what you do, irregardless of the financial outcome, and you're doing things ethically and, and for the betterment of your audience, whatever that is, like whatever that product or service, or whatever it is, or, you know, you're chasing something. 
And, you know, you, I see so many young entrepreneurs chasing, chasing, chasing. And I know, you know, I meet these guys and they're like, oh, this is what I'm doing. We're trying to raise capital, blah, blah, blah. I've been there, right? I know for sure a lot of those guys go home and when they lay down at night, they're sweating and they're nervous and they're depressed. And, you know, like, because this illusion isn't coming true for them. When, you know, what I had to learn the hard way was, you know, find something that you love to do that makes an impact on other people and do that. And if the results are absolutely fucking amazing, great. If they're average, great. You know, if it's okay, as long as you, you can make a living and you're happy, that's a win. And it just, you know, unfortunately, I had to take it on the chin to learn that the hard way. Steve, I want to talk about New York. How did you turn things around and how did you keep yourself motivated when you didn't see those results you were looking for? You know, I, th I think it, it really is an age an age thing or where you are in your life. Because when you're, when you're young, you're just too naive to, re <laughs> to really understand, you know, what it is. Like being broke is just what you are when you're young. I mean, it, it's just a reality, right? And I wasn't, you know, really young, young at the time. But, you know, the, the promise of, of wealth for a really young person, like the naivety will get you through. You know, you know, there's, there's not like a family. There's not like, it's just like, okay, we're broke, but tomorrow we're going to have Ferraris. You know, just like this, this dream in your head will get you through almost anything it, to, to the detriment of a lot of businesses. A lot of guys will, will hang in there almost too long for something that just isn't viable, you know? Uh, but, but for me, it really just, it, it's a belief in what I'm doing, you know? If you know that there's a need out there and there's a process for figuring that out, right? Everyone has to know, like, does the market want what I have? And if they do, meaning if you have customers that love what you're doing, it really then is just a matter of, of knowing that if you can unlock the code to reach more people, more of those same people, you can make it. You know, and so for me, even back then, right, we were broke, but I knew that we had something that we had customers, right? So people liked what we did. Um, it, it was really a matter of unlocking the code on how do we reach more of these people with the same need. And when you know that it is definitely doable, there are people out there and you're just trying to like solve a puzzle, you know, then the grind is not as, as painful. It's more like, you know, you go through these failures, but you know, each one is kind of like, all right, that, that code didn't work. Let's try this. And, um, you know, also we didn't reinvent the wheel, right? And very few people do, unless you invent something completely new, which is like one in, I don't know, 10 million. I'm making up math here, but usually there's somebody else doing what you've done or something very similar that is extremely successful. And so we had the same situation. There was other businesses in the same uh, market that were doing hundreds of millions of dollars. So when you know it can be done and there's a market for it, I think it's just a matter of, you know, how bad do you want it and, and, and how much are you willing to kind of differentiate yourself and, uh, you know, really reach out to decision makers and get it done. And um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you, you go through it, Simon. It's really one of those things where when you know it's doable and you love what you're doing and you can taste it, uh, the, the chase, even though it's hard, it almost doesn't even seem like a struggle, you know? Yeah, I want to talk about your work ethic. It seems like you work really hard and really smart. Uh, could you talk about that a bit? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting, and, and I hate to sound like a cliche here, but, you know, when you really love what you're doing, it's it's not really work, right? I mean, I mean, for, for me, on a weekend, you, you know, it would be a break. Like, let's put it this way. Like, if I had a regular job, th- what I do now is what I would do in my off time. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoy the craft. I enjoy telling stories. I enjoy helping. So, you know, yeah, I, I work my ass off, but it's not like, you know, people think of the term work and they think of a guy in a factory. It's like, oh, man, he's grinding it out. It sucks. But how does he work that many hours? You know, it'd be like me going, man, Simon, how how did you hang out on that, uh, on, you know, jet skiing all day? And, you know, how did you do that? You'd be like, what are you talking about? I could have gone another four hours. It was awesome. You know, when you really love what you do, it's kind of the time just goes by. You put in the hours because you're trying to, you know, chip away at the stone of this this piece of art that you're trying to create. You know, it. It's an interesting, it's just an interesting thing because entrepreneurs talk to people in corporate America and there's a huge disconnect there. You know, it's like, gosh, Simon, how can you work 14 hours? If I had to work 14 hours, I would want to kill myself, you know? Yeah, I could resonate with that. Uh, Just a few days ago on a Monday morning, I was working in a coffee shop when a person in front of me ordered coffee. He was a corporate guy. And when the waiter asked how he was doing, he said, I'm not doing well because it's Monday. Like, ironic way, you know, like how people say that. And then I was reminded, oh my God, there's people still doing it, working 9 to 5, doing jobs they hate. And it's kind of funny that I have, I had forgotten that. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a trade-off. You, you know, it, it really is. Um, ah, man, I, I wish I knew a formula there because, you know, there are some people that just, that, that's, that's a good role for them. You, you know, um, and I, I don't know, I, there's not a, a rhyme or reason to it, but there are people that just, you know, that's what they need. And, and that, that level of comfort, uh, of the check, even though it sucks, you know, the risk involved with going out there and, and getting freedom through entrepreneurship, there's a lot of people that just couldn't stomach that, that journey, you know, before we end today's show, I'm going to ask you one last question because that's something we've been asking almost every single person who's been on the show. What has been the one thing that has been the biggest contributor to your successes so far, Steve? For, for me, it's been meditation. I mean, and this this is is going to probably resonate uh, more and more as the years go on. I know it's become way more popular. I actually didn't start doing it until about two years ago, and it's hard for me, right? I mean, for, for any listener out there that has been thinking about meditation or, or what have you, it's a, it's been a game changer for me. It really has. And I think the reason being is I never shut it off. Right. And I was one of these guys that I can go and go and go where the, the input, right. The data coming at me is constant. And so when I, when I do meditation, it's like the only time of day where I really just say, okay, I'm unplugging from everything, including my brain. I'm just going to unplug and it's, it's given me kind of a, a level of energy and you know, ability to really recalibrate myself during the day to, to stay focused on what I'm doing and, and just, you know, mental clarity. Uh, it's, it's been incredible. I mean, yeah, that's the one thing. Yes, yeah, Steve, there's so many books and blogs out there which teach about meditation. What is your take on starting meditation from ground zero? And what are some steps people in the audience could take to get started with it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not good at it. You know, admittedly, it took me a long time. Like, it sucked. I mean, I sat there and I hated it. I'm like, this is ridiculous, right? Um, I just couldn't shut it down. <clears throat> so I, I went online. I 
you know, if you want to know what I do, uh, I ended up buying um, recently Headspace has been a really good one for me. It's an app uh, you can get online that, that walks you through. Uh, it's just real simple, right? You can do 10 minutes. You can do 20 minutes. It's just clean and easy. Um, and I don't overthink it. You know, I'm, one, I'm, you know, I'm a little older than probably uh, some of your other listeners where, you know, for me, I just I don't really overthink much anymore. It's kind of like what works for me is what works, and I'm good with that. You know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to uh, give too much advice in terms of this is how you do X, Y, and Z and get into – it's like whatever works for you. And, and so Headspace for me worked really well. I have friends that could carve out time on their own and just sit quiet without the need of an app or headphones. For me, it, it just um, – the app Headspace or, or anything where it's kind of a guided meditation. Uh, I know Deepak Chopra does a lot of it. Um, there's a lot of that online. For me, that, that's the best way to kind of get me in the zone and walk me through it um, is just kind of having that, that level of guidance. So, yeah. Hey, Steve, it's been so much fun having you on the show. What's the best way to find your line and connect with you? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, hey, if anyone's listening, you want to reach out, you can catch me at steve at dropinlocal.com. I do reply to uh, pretty much every email that comes to me. Uh, on Twitter, I'm just at Steve Gum. It's like chewing gum with two M's. Um, that's usually, you know, the best way to reach me. Um, not really hard to find. My last name is, is fairly unique. So if you Google Steve Gum, I'm going to come up somewhere. Um, it's t- tougher for, for uh, you know, Mike Jones than, than me. Steve Gum, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for coming in. Yeah, Simon, keep keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I love it. I love your passion. Uh, you know, what you're doing with the podcast is great. And I appreciate you having me on, brother. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Decoded. For killer resources and free content, go to entrepreneurdecoded.com.